Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3. This is Benjamin from Intermediate English and I hope you're all doing well. In today's episode, I'm looking at a question which I find really interesting. The question of why humans act altruistically. In other words, why we act for the benefit of other people. This covers a whole range of different fields, and I'm not a specialist, but I wanted to take the opportunity to introduce you to a few different areas of the English language, and at the same time, explore an issue which concerns all of us. If you find parts of the podcast difficult to understand, don't worry, that's completely normal when you're learning a language. In fact, you have to confront yourself with unfamiliar language in order to improve. My suggestion would be to listen to it again and see if you can understand it better the second time once you have the full context. Also, you might be able to change the speed of the podcast and slow it down depending on which platform you use for getting your podcasts. If you have any thoughts about today's show or indeed about any of the shows, you can get in touch with me directly. I'll give you the details for that at the end of the episode. Let's begin with an experiment. Since you might be on the other side of the world from me, this will have to be an imaginary experiment. There are two rooms. You are in one of the rooms, and a complete stranger is in the other room. This experiment is very simple. What happens is, I give you 20 pounds. Now, you have two choices. You can either keep the 20 pounds for yourself, or you can share it with a stranger in the other room, someone you've never met before. Maybe you'll keep the 20 pounds for yourself. Maybe you'll give some of it to the stranger. Maybe you'll give all of it to the stranger. So, which option did you choose? This thought experiment is about whether you are more selfish or more altruistic. Of course, we're never completely one or the other, we're often somewhere in between. If you're selfish, that means you prioritize yourself, and if you're altruistic, that means that you are generous to other people. But this experiment is also about all sorts of other connected issues, the factors which guide you to make a particular decision. Why did you make the decision that you did? Did you think about what you could do with the money? Did you think about whether the stranger was likely to be poorer or richer than you? Did you try to imagine the stranger, what they might have looked like or how they might live their life, 
what they might spend the money on. And all of this leads us to one overarching question, one main question, which is, are humans selfish or altruistic? lots of examples of extreme selfishness. History is full of examples of individuals taking decisions that were harmful to other people, seemingly receiving almost nothing in return. There have also been a number of experiments that have focused on this question of why we behave in selfish ways. For example, there's the famous Milgram experiment from 1961. This experiment was trying to measure people's willingness to obey an authority, to investigate the question of why people agree to do things that seem immoral. It was organized by a psychologist called Stanley Milgram at Yale, a university in the United States, And what he did was he asked volunteers to administer a series of increasingly painful electric shocks to people in another room. Now, these electric shocks weren't actually real, and the people receiving the shocks in the other room were actually actors pretending to be electrocuted. But the volunteers in the experiment didn't know this and they believed that what they were doing was completely real, and that the shocks that they sent were real, and that in fact they were torturing the people in the other room. Now, you might be asking yourself, what kind of sick person would agree to do such a thing? But actually, the majority, 65% of volunteers were prepared to turn the electricity up to the highest possible level and administer the strongest possible shocks to the people in the other room. Shocks which they were told would be killing the people in the other room. And what did the volunteers get out of this experiment? They got $4 per hour and a sense of obedience. So there's a very big question mark over this issue. In other words, there are a lot of things that we don't know about why people behave like that and what leads them to this behavior. But what I want to look at today is the other side of this question, which is what leads people to altruistic behavior. Like we said earlier, altruism is when you do things for other people's benefit. And we do this quite a lot. We do a lot of things where we don't expect to receive any personal benefit. We give to charity. We help strangers in the street. We volunteer our time for helping others free of cost. None of these things seem unusual to us. In fact, we 
often use the word humane to describe these characteristics, a word closely linked to the word human. It's as if we think that altruistic behavior is a really essential part of what defines us as a species. Okay, you might point out that other animals behave in ways which appear altruistic, that humans aren't exceptional. Uh, birds and monkeys often groom each other. They pick out parasites, small creatures which live on them. But in these situations, the animals get an immediate reward for their altruistic behavior. Grooming, this process of picking out the insects and parasites, the grooming is offered back. In return, it's reciprocated, and therefore the reward happens almost immediately. Altruism in humans, on the other hand, can be more far-sighted, in other words, more long-term, and it may not involve any reward at all. If you give to a charity, are you going to benefit from that? Well, you might benefit indirectly, but it's pretty unlikely that you're going to benefit directly from the result of that donation. What's for sure is you could have used that donation in a way that would have helped yourself even more. So why did you choose to help others with that donation? You can go even further and say that altruism is a genetic mistake. Our genes are programmed for us to want to reproduce. We're programmed through our genes for reproduction and for self-preservation. What we should be doing, according to evolutionary theories, is attempting to build up our own resources and not to help other people when they are in danger and we're not. Let's say you're walking along and you see someone hanging off the edge of a cliff. In theory, you shouldn't go to help them because of the danger that you're going to fall yourself, and yet you probably will help them. So the question is, why are we altruistic, or at least sometimes? It turns out that science can offer a few explanations for this. Recent studies have shown that altruistic behavior activates pleasure centers in our brain, the pleasure centers that reward our most powerful urges for nutrition and reproduction. These are the same parts of the brain that are activated when we engage altruistically with other people. But it gets a bit more complicated. A study from the University of Sussex in the UK in 2018 looked at multiple experiments on altruism over the last 10 years. And what it found is that our brains experience the act of giving differently when we expect a reward from when we don't expect a reward. In other words, our brain draws a distinction 
between different motives for altruistic behavior. All of these studies show that there is a link between our instincts to be altruistic and our instincts to do other things which we seem genetically programmed to do. Why is this the case? Why should there be a link between altruism and the parts of our brains that deal with self-preservation, with saving ourselves and producing offspring, producing children? Well, there are a number of theories about this, but I'd like to look at one in a bit more detail. This is a theory about something called cooperative breeding, proposed by an American scientist called Sarah Blaffer-Hurdy. She made this argument in the 1990s, but it remains a very strong argument today. What she suggests is that early humans, tens of thousands of years ago, started doing something called cooperative breeding. Cooperative breeding meant that it wasn't only parents who were looking after children, who were caring for children, but also grandparents, more distant relatives, and also people not related to the child, but who offered to help anyway. Cooperative breeding meant that there was more cooperation between the whole of society for raising children. And the link with altruism is that by helping the families and helping the children of their social group, early humans were protecting their community and developing their community, looking towards the future. Helping others would have a strong beneficial effect on self-preservation, looking after yourself. Hurdy has also suggested that cooperative breeding may have led to the evolution of language and more cooperation across early societies more generally. She thinks that cooperative breeding might have developed millions of years ago when our earliest ancestors, early humans, moved from life in the trees to a more difficult existence in the savanna and the woodland. And that cooperative breeding was one way of getting around the environmental difficulties that were posed to them during this transition, during this change. In savannas, that means woodland and grassland, but without a lot of trees, it may have become impossible for mothers to look after their offspring alone. Cooperative breeding meant that mothers could give birth to new offspring while the previous ones, the previous children, were still dependent on other adults. And that meant that early humans were increasing their reproductive success. According to Hurdy, altruism became a survival method for early humans. And altruism is still in our genes today. So 
So that's one possible answer that has been suggested to this question of why we behave in altruistic ways. Now we're going to look at how altruism plays out in the world around us and see whether altruism can be measured and, if it can, what that tells us about people's motivations. The idea of measuring altruism seems pretty abstract. It seems pretty hard to imagine. But there's an organization which every year creates a very in-depth report into altruism. And this organization is called the Charities Aid Foundation. It's based in the UK and it provides assistance to international charities and it also studies the way that different countries give to charity. It produces a report every year called the World Giving Index, and this takes into account the percentage of the population who give charitably, who volunteer their time, and finally who have helped a stranger. Using these three different figures, they come up with an overall figure called the World Giving Index figure. And using this, they create an international ranking. Recently, they produced a summary of the last 10 years. And at the top of the list, from 1 to 10, are the USA, Myanmar, New Zealand, Australia, Ireland, Canada, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Sri Lanka, and Indonesia. So that list might surprise you. It's not only what are called developed countries, or as we might say more simplistically, rich countries. It's also developing countries. And this is even more true if you look at the biggest risers, their list of the countries which are giving more and more each year and rising up the table. So from 1 to 10, Indonesia... Kenya, Singapore, Malaysia, Iraq, South Africa, Haiti, Rwanda, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and finally, United Arab Emirates. Okay, this is a pretty varied list of countries, geographically speaking. On a continental basis, it's interesting to note the variation in this list of countries, Half of them are Asian, three are African, and only one is European and one North American, which is Haiti. In other words, charity is not limited to a particular culture or religion, and it's not necessarily going from one type of country in one continent to another. Altruism is happening everywhere, and it's increasing in a very diverse range of countries. The highest scoring Asian countries on the biggest riser list are Indonesia, Myanmar, and Sri Lanka. And the answer to our question of why we engage altruistically has something to do with these three countries. Because according to the Charities Aid Foundation, the high scores in these three countries are probably linked to religious giving. Both Myanmar and Sri Lanka have a high population of Theravada Buddhists. For them, acts of charity, especially towards those 
living monastic lifestyles, living religious lifestyles, are part of their tradition. In Indonesia, the high level of altruistic giving is likely to be linked to the Islamic practice of zakah. This is a requirement in Islam that Muslims have to donate at least 2.5% of their wealth to charity. Well, firstly, Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. And secondly, the government has worked really hard to make sure that these donations are given to sustainable growth, both in Indonesia and around the world. So according to the Charities Aid Foundation, religion plays a pretty big role. The World Giving Index shows that charity is something that is practiced around the world and not just in one corner of it. It also shows that the reasons that we are charitable might be related not only to our wealth, but also to tradition, values, religions and culture. Let's go back to the original experiment that we started with. You're in one room and there's a complete stranger in the room next door. I gave you 20 pounds and you thought about whether to share it or not. But let's change it. What if I gave you 20 pounds in exchange for an hour's work say, sorting through some old files and boxes of mine, or arranging all the books on my bookshelf in alphabetical order. And then I tell you that the stranger in the other room has also worked for me for an hour and earned 20 pounds. Would you still split the money with them, or would you keep it for yourself? Did that change your answer at all, change your thinking? I suspect that it might have changed your answer a little bit. The truth is that altruism is so complicated that we can only understand one small part of it. And that's because money isn't just money. We attach it to other things, and we attach values to it. We treat it differently from how we would treat a gift of £20, and therefore we behave with it in a different way. So we can't draw any hard and fast rules. We can't make set rules about how we behave in a certain situation. It depends on so many different things. Clearly, trying to come up with any scientific explanation for this kind of behavior is very difficult. And so scientific and psychological studies can only show us some of the reasons for altruistic behavior. What we don't understand is why we are so interested in each other's emotions and each other's stories and why those interests change the way that we behave. So next time you act altruistically, ask yourself, why? What made you act in that way? And whatever it was, try to make sure that that stays in your life. With a complicated topic like this and a limited time frame, we can only go into so much depth. And 
Maybe you still have a lot of questions about why we behave in certain ways. Well, me too. But what you can do to find out more is check out the links in the episode description. They'll take you to some really great articles about altruism. You can also find a link to the 2019 World Giving Index produced by the Charities Aid Foundation and see how your country did. And if you have a bit of money spare and you want to give to charity, then just do it, even if it's not part of your culture, because that's how traditions are started. If you enjoyed this podcast, then there are a few altruistic things that you can do. And the great thing about them is, they cost you nothing. You can tell your friends about the podcast, you can leave it a five-star rating, and you can review it on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. If you'd like to give me some feedback on the podcast, or suggest a topic for a future episode, or even just write me an email to practice your English, you can send it to intermediatepods at gmail.com. That's pods spelled P-O-D-S, intermediatepods at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll try to get back to you as quickly as I can. So thank you for listening, and see you next time. Thank you.